Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I am the older brother of Matt Farrell. Long pause while we wait for him to introduce himself. (laughs) I'm still getting acclimated to recording a podcast right now. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about his most recent episode, which was the truth about battery powered cities and renewable energy. And this episode dropped on June 23rd, 2078. The reason I say it's June 22nd, 23rd, 2078 is because I have very good reason to believe that we have all been caught in a time loop for five decades. <laughs> time <laughs> is a flat circle. Yes. Every day feels the same. Actually, it is 2020. So the episode is the truth about battery-powered cities and renewable energy, which the title of that, I think, inadvertently gives it a negative skew. (laughs) Okay. The truth about battery power. I read that. I was just like, is Matt going to shit all over battery-powered cities? What's... (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there is a negative slant to it. I don't want to use the term fanboy, but it's the best way to describe it. There are people like Tesla fans or people that are just all in on renewable energy hearing negative aspects of the technologies is doesn't exist to them. And if you say anything negative, oftentimes there's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction of like, what are you talking about? So there is a little bit of a negative slant to this because for all the stuff that Tesla's doing in grid scale energy storage with like the Hornsdale power plant in Australia. And they're building out similar things in California and uh, here on the East coast. It's fantastic stuff, but those things aren't big enough to power an entire city for, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours. They just can't. They're meant as peaker plants to handle short bursts of hours of need, not days. And so it it actually is kind of a, a truth about that stuff doesn't exist right now even though people may think it does. It's kind of why, this is the reason I landed on that title. Like a lot of your tech videos like this, which really operate almost like a little mini instructional introduction to the concepts behind the power production and the development of the use in practical terms of Mm -hmm. these power sources. These videos always generate interesting discussion in the comments. And (laughs) it's laudable that the discussion is usually very even- and, you know, is a conciliatory back and forth. I think it's, you know, I didn't see anything, maybe it's the way that YouTube is filtering things, but I didn't see anything where anybody was showing up and saying, you're a communist. Those comments do exist. They don't see the light of day. (laughs) I see them, but nobody else sees them. One of the comments that stuck out for me was from Dennis Tucker, who wrote, I don't know if you've heard this in the news recently, but the Energizer Bunny just got arrested. He was charged with battery. Oh my God, Sean. I I didn't say it. I was not the bearer of that information. That was from Dennis Tucker. Okay. Please direct all questions. <laughs> to Dennis Tucker. To Dennis Tucker. <laughs> That's awful. I kind of love it. <laughs> it was actually the top comment on the video. Oh, you can see why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Grinsberg wrote a note to your video on minute 239 that Tesla's battery day has apparently been announced. It's going to be September 15th. 
Yes. It keeps getting pushed back. Yeah, understandably. I mean, it's yeah. the sort of thing where they want to be able to, given the circumstances of what's going on, I would not be surprised if the entire point is that Tesla wants to actually have an event. One of the things I hear from a lot of people that follow me of like, why is Tesla delaying it? They could just give the information. They can just give the information. They could hold a virtual a teleconference where they drop the information. Why do they need to keep delaying it? And some people think that they're delaying it because they're not ready yet. And right. my take on from, from what I know and from people, sources I have, they're not delaying it because they don't have the information and the stuff ready. They pretty much do. It's they clearly want to have an in-person event because here's what I think a lot of people are missing is it's not just we've got this new battery technology, huzzah. It's they also want to give people a tour of something. And that one of the things they want to give people a tour of, from what I understand, is the new production line. And it comes back to a video I made almost a year ago when they bought Maxwell Technologies one of the things that Maxwell Technologies is bringing into the equation is this dry battery electrode method, which radically changes the manufacturing process, streamlines it. In a much smaller space, you can produce more batteries, and these batteries will last longer. It's a really cool technology and a manufacturing method, and they want to show that off. You can't really do that well unless you're there in person. So to me, I think there's a in-person aspect to the event that Elon is really keen to have. And that's why they keep pushing it back. It's a, it's a trust us. This thing will last a million miles yeah. versus walking yeah. somebody through the battery line manufacturing, showing them here are these new techniques that nobody else is using that we're doing to create our batteries. And you can actually show them how the batteries are made, show them the exact process and the outgoing battery cells, and then have them sit in a car that has the new battery technology. It's like, it's very different when you have hands-on versus just describing it to somebody. Another of the comments on the video was from Johnny Robinson. And he wrote, I want to reinforce the question that somebody else asked below. How about liquid air or cryo storage large scale batteries? All yeah. the articles on this have no depth. They don't explain how it deals with heat compression or the chill of decompression. How they deal with the fact that each gas liquefies at different temperatures. Also, why hasn't it been done before? What new development makes it practical now? I would love to see you go into this subject in depth. And obviously my goal here is not to put you on the spot and say, talk about these things if you don't actually <laughs> yes. have any information. But yeah. it seems like one of the things I love about the comments on your videos is that your viewers are themselves very knowledgeable on these subjects. And it seems like a great jumping off point for a future content. Uh, yeah, that, that comment you just read, I actually just took that comment and I put it, I have, I use a uh, task tracking software for all of my video ideas. And that is an idea for a video coming up, hopefully soon-ish. So it, it, I am definitely going to be looking into that. What is exactly cryogenic air storage? Somebody else brought that up as well. There was somebody who it was Mr. Gonzanator who had a couple of comments. And <laughs> Mr. Gonzanator wrote, can you mention cryogenic air storage too? Currently, High View Power is building a 250 megawatt system in Manchester, England. No toxic or rare materials required. No shortage, no shortage of raw materials and half the price of lithium. Lithium ion. Easily scalable and can be built anywhere. It's 60 to 75% efficient, but there are no chemical processes involved, only physical. Do you know anything about what cryogenic air storage is? My knowledge of it is kind of thin right now. Basically, what he wrote is basically what I know. It's the, the same thing I do know is that 
the the efficiency he mentioned is higher than I've heard. I've seen it as labeled as it's only 25% efficient. That almost doesn't matter because of the the benefits of it. It almost doesn't matter that it's less efficient because it's cleaner, it's easier to do. But I'm still diving into it myself to really get deeper knowledge on it mm-hmm. to make to bring some of that to light. M Matthews brought up an interesting idea and it as soon as I read this, it's one of those things that got my writer brain churning, which was mm-hmm. great review, but only considers chemical batteries for static operate applications, mechanical batteries that store energy by example, liquefying a gas have a lot of scope too. And one of the responses to that was from Ken Smith. And he said, the big heavy weights made grandfather clocks work fine. Perhaps for some stuff, we should go back to that. I wonder if you know of any attempts to do just that. Obviously, oh, physical is what a hydroelectric dam is doing. It is literally, yeah, yeah. you know, water is turning a turbine. And uh, the idea of like heavyweights, grandfather clock mechanisms, there were actually some people in the comments who said things like using solar or wind to run a pump to pump water uphill that then stays in storage until it's needed later. And then it can be released and the release then turns turbines. So you create sort of a mini hydroelectric dam in a static uh, closed system is one suggestion. And somebody else suggested that you could actually do the same thing with skyscrapers. Large buildings could be built with inside them the mechanism for pumping water up during maybe during the daytime when solar power would be driving the pumps. And then at night you could have the water draining through to release uh, hydroelectric at night. And there yeah. was some debate back and forth. And Mr. Gonzanator was involved in that debate. He had some thoughts on that, which were, I thought were very good, but I thought it was a very interesting discussion. I did touch on that very briefly in this video, pumped hydro storage, uh, but it, it's very geographically, it depends on where you are, if you can actually do that. And the most efficient ways to do that are pumping water into a reservoir that's up a mountain because the amount of energy you need it you're talking about massive quantities of water you'd have to move but i did a video that was on a similar topic last year i went a little more in depth into the mechanical forms of storage like there's flywheels but one of my favorites is literally just moving heavy weights Mm -hmm. and there's a company called gravitricity that is, they're proposing either you either dig basically just gigantic wells or you can use abandoned coal mines. And what you do is you basically just have like, like grandfather clocks, you just have a gigantic massive weight that you just pull up and hold it up. You use the energy to pull it up. And then when you need the energy, you just drop the weight and then it's turning a flywheel that generates the electricity. This stuff is being explored. And for me, gravitricity is the one I'm keeping my eye on because it's so fascinating that they have this such a simple, we're just going to lift a weight in the air and then just drop it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they can supposedly generate something like 40 megawatts of electricity and have a response time for generating that electricity almost as fast as a battery, like a chemical Mm -hmm. battery. There's compressed air storage where you use the energy and you literally are just like storing compressed air. And then when you need it, you release the compressed air, which turns a turbine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's so many of these just mechanical methods of storing it. They're not as efficient as some forms of chemical storage. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's nothing to recycle. It's completely, truly clean. It's, it's just mechanics. So it's, it's just weights. It's just air. 
So there's a real benefit to it. And my, my take on all of this is there's not one solution that's going to like rule them all here. It's mm -hmm. there's going to be a mixture of storage options in every region and city and location is just going to pick a mix that's right for them. And the idea that we have all these different like concepts and companies that are trying these things, the more, the better. This is it's it's awesome that we have all these options. And that's one of the comments that Mr. Gonsnader actually brought into the discussion. Somebody said, what about you know, pumping water uphill? And his response was, if you were to do that, you need a hill. Yeah. You need, you know, like a surface where you could actually have an uphill. And that's when somebody came back in and said, what about skyscrapers? And, you know, again, like you said, it required, that would require an urban infrastructure. You need buildings that were tall enough. And then you come back with the abandoned coal shafts and in some cases just digging you know, the deep hole. And like I said, my, my sci-fi writer brain started churning and I was thinking in terms of, you know, there's the whole pendulum aspect, like on a clicking, a ticking clock, you know, the swinging pendulum is in fact providing energy to the mechanism. The right. spring that you turn in the clock provides a little tiny push at the beginning of each swing, but it's, you know, the idea of pendulums and weights and the physicality of all of that. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I was launching back into very early sci-fi movies like Metropolis. The visuals in a lot of those, to me now, it makes me think, oh, the visuals were inspired by the mechanisms that people of that era when they were making the movie saw around them every day. So yep. the mechanisms of massive machines and from our perspective, when I've watched that movie, uh, the first time I saw it, I thought, what a what an oddly retrofuturistic vision of what the future would look like. It looked too mechanical, I thought. Right. Like, oh, clearly, yeah, we move toward smaller and smaller machines to the point where we will not see the machine. Here we are, you're describing things which are going that direction of what if you had massive shafts into the ground and those shafts had gigantic weights that were slowly lowering and rising and creating energy in that sort of metropolis-like vision of yeah. what energy production would look like. And there's a part of me that thinks, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, just the it's cool awesome aspect stuff. is really, is yeah. really high. It's part of the reason I make these videos. It's like, for me, I'm a futurist. I love seeing where this stuff is going and what it could mean. And I, I was, I, one of my next videos that's coming out is about solar panel energy and carbon nanotubes and stuff like that, that are helping improve it. And some of the stuff I've been learning about more recently is like, there are solar panels that are kind of like semi-transparent that will let light go through them. So they're capturing energy and as well as still letting the light go through. And one of the things that they're doing with those is they're building them in arrays as tests above crops. So mm -hmm. over farmland, because here's a huge swath of flat land. We can build these solar panels that still light, let, light, let the light through for the plants. Right. But the benefit of this is that solar panel efficiency actually drops when panels get too hot. Air temperatures around crops are lower because they release moisture that cools mm. the air. So because you're putting these solar panels above the crops, the crops keep the panels cooler, which, which increases their efficiency by like 20%. Holy crap. This is like, like you're saying mechanics. It's like, this is like <laughs> nothing, nothing crazy sci-fi there. It's just Hey, what if we put a solar panel above a crop and the crops, the organic material will keep everything cooler. It's like, right. that's so cool. 
And then there's floating solar panels where people are building basically pontoons with panels on them and covering up ponds and small lakes. The ponds and the lakes and building solar panels on these gigantic areas of water is the same thing. It's it's going back to the roots of using the world around you in ways that you may have ignored because we got seduced by the fancy, smaller, crazier technologies. It's like, well, we could just lift huge heavy weights. We could put solar panels on water. It's like we can use the environment around us to make those things better than they would be on their own. Right. And to me, that is just so freaking cool and ingenious. I love it. Member Wen was another commenter on the video. And they wrote, if I can't even store all of the energy I collect with a solar array during the day, why are we even talking about storing the power necessary to power a city? They're not wrong. They're not, they're not wrong, but the fact that like on my solar panel, I don't have storage built into my house yet. I'm going to be getting a power wall for my home, but I'm still going to have excess electricity that I can't store that's going to go into the grid. The thing about small scale solar, like our homes, is that that energy is getting used. It's going into the grid and my neighbors are using it. it it's not like it's going to waste, if that makes sense. Right. And the fact that that excess energy is going into the grid creates the thing that's called the duck curve, which means we're producing more energy than we need during the middle of the day. And we don't have enough during peak usage in the evenings because that's when solar winds down. That's why we need massive amounts of storage so that we can, as a grid, as a community, store the energy we don't need for that time. So it's extremely important, but it doesn't mean that we have to build these gigantic flow batteries to do it. Like Tesla has been part of these experiments and Massachusetts is actually one of the states in the country that's leading this too, is virtualized grid scale storage, where instead of building one massive like battery farm, you're basically putting little batteries into a whole bunch of people's homes. And then the grid can tap into all of these homes collectively as one gigantic battery. So Massachusetts has this program where you can sign up and you can make your home battery part of the system. Uh, and they're slowly rolling it out and you have to apply to be part of it. And they're only adding certain people in at certain times. So I'm hoping to become part of that program, but it's, it's one of those, that is a path to solve this issue. I don't see it as a throw your hands in the air like, oh, why even bother? It's like, no, we can solve this. We just have to find creative solutions to do it. That taps right into the comment from Noah Darrington, who wrote about the electric vehicle grid storage, which is related to what you just described. Yeah, vehicle the vehicle to grid is something I've been very interested in. I haven't made a video on it yet because <laughs> it's going to sound kind of weird. You want to try as many people to watch that video as possible. And part of the problem with vehicle to grid is that most people don't seem to either know or even care about it. So it's like, I've been kind of trying to, I've been trying to figure out a way to do a video about it that would still be interesting to get as many people to watch it as possible. I just have, I've been struggling with that, but vehicle to grid is this exact same thing where it's using your car. Like right now I'm not driving my car because <laughs> I'm not going anywhere because yeah. of the coronavirus. So I have this massive battery pack sitting in my garage, not getting used. And it would be great if I could store my excess solar into my car and then pull from it in the evening. The downside to vehicle to grid is that doing this kind of power usage really can, especially the, the virtualized grid I was talking about, can really sap a battery. Like it's hard on a battery when right. you're just draining it almost completely during the day. And then, you know, I mean, at night and then you're filling it almost all the way up during the day and you're doing that day in, day out, day in, day out. It's going to really shorten the lifespan of that battery because right. you're running through the cycles. Part of the reason we haven't really been seeing that a lot is because 
it's going to, it's going to take a number on your car, which means you're going to see your daily miles go down <laughs> much faster than normal, which is part of the reason why we're not seeing that. But we probably will start to see more of it as like Tesla's battery day. Like they supposedly have a battery that can last a million miles. It's a very robust battery. Those kind of batteries could probably handle that situation better, which means we might start to see vehicle to grid once these battery ba better batteries start getting put into cars. Very interesting discussion around the, the video. And before we sign off, I just wanted to know, Matt, if there was anything new that you've been enjoying, which has been helping you get through the 50 decade time loop that we've been <laughs> caught in. Yeah. I've, uh, a few days ago, I started playing the last of us part two on mm -hmm. PlayStation and I hear it's very uplifting. <laughs> this is one of those things where it's like, I'm really torn because it is exceptional but it'd be like saying to somebody you know what book you should read read the road <laughs> you know what i mean it's like yes i do know how you mean here here's a phenomenal book a phenomenal movie a phenomenal video game that will make you feel horribly depressed yes. it's that's the downside to it but yeah. my god this game is so i worked in the video game industry for a long time but it's like the the graphics of this game are astonishing the storytelling and the writing is just the acting, like there is not a single thing I would nitpick on the game except for some of the controls of controlling your character can sometimes be a little wonky. Yeah, I've like heard I was that. Try, yeah. I was, try, I, was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to hide from some people in a town that were hunting me. <laughs> I was hiding behind this decrepit car and I went to go press the button to go prone in the grass, the tall grass to hide. And for some reason, my character hopped up onto the hood of the car and laid down on the, hood of the car. And then when I yelled, I actually yelled out, went, no, that's not what I wanted to do. And I hit a different button. And suddenly she was standing on the roof. <laughs> I might as well have been yelling, I'm over here. Yeah. So the, other than the controls, sometimes getting in your way, <laughs> The game is astonishing and the, the storytelling, it's one of the writers worked on the show Westworld, the first season of Westworld, uh, Naughty Dog who makes the game. They've done some of my favorite games of all time, like Uncharted and this, it's like they know how to do storytelling in games and you make the games. It's like Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert, you know, saying that games are not art is so laughably wrong when you play a game like this because because you're playing as certain characters throughout the game you become connected to them in a way you don't when you read a book or see a movie because you're not living it you're not making the decisions and in a video game you're acting those decisions which makes you a participant in what they're going through and you start to identify with the character in a different way it's not a better way it's just a different way so mm -hmm. it's so these gut-wrenching moments that are happening in the game, you really feel it. It is such an incredible experience so far. Completely opposite direction from that. Uh, last night, my girlfriend and I watched the movie Hobbs and Shaw. On purpose? <laughs> yes. If you are looking for just absolutely ludicrous, fun, I want to see people run down the side of a building. I want to see an airplane driven through the back of a car. I want to see like the most ludicrous effects, the wackiest yeah. fight sequences. And 
as we were watching it, my girlfriend, uh, we had we paused the movie a couple times. It's one of those movies where you don't mind pausing it because it doesn't matter. Uh, there was a point where the dehumidifier kicked on. We couldn't hear the dialogue. Neither of us bothered to get up. Um, it's just like, this doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's not a full-blown comedy like the movie Spy, but it's uh, The Rock and Jason Statham clearly had a dynamic that was like, let's just have fun. Right. So it's a lot of humorous conversations, a lot of insult comedy where it's the two of them going at each other like, you know, you're so stupid. Here's what I'm going to do to you. And, and, uh, the dialogue is amusing, but in one of the pauses, my girlfriend texted a friend of ours to say like, Oh, we're watching Hobbs and Shaw. And this friend wrote back, are you in the final third yet? Let me know when you get to the final third, I need your thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) And then partway through the final third of the movie, my girlfriend texted and and just sent a picture. It was a moment and just sent a picture of the screen. And this friend wrote back, yes, it takes a turn. (laughs) (laughs) I will not say what that turn is. Uh But it is, it is the kind of movie that if you are, as my girlfriend said at the end of it, suggesting a movie like this always makes her say, I don't know if I'm in the mood for that. But then once you start watching it, it's just perfectly fine, stupid fun. So yes. If anybody is looking for empty entertainment that the very definition of popcorn film, this is the movie for you. And I will just, the last comment I will say about it is this. Idris Elba is far too good an actor to be in yes. something like this. And he yes. is in this. There is a moment. <laughs> there is a moment where his character, who I'm not giving anything away, is basically part cyborg. He's been... right. Uh, changed so that he's got some robotic components and he even describes himself as the black Superman. And there is a moment where he is in a, it's one of those movies where there's a room designed entirely for talking to the big boss. Right. And the big boss only appears as a voice, you know, like a audio readout on the walls. The entire room is just, screens that are showing the voice going up and down uh-huh. and in that moment you're sitting there like why would you waste money designing that like <laughs> he's effectively having a phone call <laughs> couldn't he just put his iphone on the table and press speakerphone and been like here's what's going on instead he goes into a room that is entirely white screens with these huge audio readouts going just for the visual just right and in this moment, Idris Elba's character is describing his interactions with Hobbes and Shaw and describing what he thinks should happen. And he's given instructions and his response to the instructions is debate to debate a little bit. And there's a little bit of a back and forth. And finally he agrees. Like, okay, I'll do what you've instructed me to do. In that moment, the dialogue on its own is absolutely the most just it's just entirely flat it's just clearly been written with a oh this will be a snappy comeback sort of attitude right idris elba brings such gravitas to the moment that in the moment i was actually sucked in and was thinking wow yeah that's heavy (laughs) (laughs) 
Hobson Shaw. And then the and then the and then the scene ended, and I immediately turned to my girlfriend and I said, "He is far too good to be in this movie, but I love that he's here." And her response was, "He's having a great time." Yeah, no, he probably so, did, he probably had a really good time making that movie. Yeah, so it is it is just nutsy fun, crazy visuals, stunts that make no sense. There's no such thing as physics. It's just it's it's absurd and we had a great time with it so just make a huge bowl of popcorn have a cold drink and and buckle up because it's it's just fun it's totally <laughs> escapist fun where did you watch it it is available on hbo okay so we watched it through hbo max so that's how we're trying to keep sane let us know what you are doing and you can do that in a number of ways. You can reach out to us through Twitter. You can reach out to still TBDFM. You can reach out to me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach out to Matt at Matt Farrell or at Undecided MF. You can watch the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. And you can find the podcast at still TBD.FM. You can subscribe. You can do that through Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere where podcasts are found. Please be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to give both a rating, a review, and share them with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew, and then Matthew helps me. And then I watch Idris Elba. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. 